wee hours, as they do in Albany, in the wee hours last night, they passed um, the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act, which was a compromise bill, but a pretty sweeping nation-leading bill to reduce carbon emissions and mandate renewable energy use in New York. Um, and our first guest today was part of the coalition that helped uh, push that bill to fruition. And so we're going to be joined shortly by an activist who's been very central in this environmental justice fight. And that's really a significant piece of legislation that moved through, and we'll talk more about it shortly. Let's welcome on Priya Mulgaonkar, who is uh, part of the New York City Environmental Justice Alliance, which is part of the New York Renews Coalition of about, they say, 180 environmental justice, faith, labor, and community groups that was pushing the Climate and Community Protection Act, which merged with the governor's bill to become the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act. And she's going to explain to us what that is all about. Priya, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. So tell us a little bit about what is in this bill that passed in the wee hours last night in Albany. Sure. So I guess first up, I just want to say, you know, we're really seeing a watershed moment for the climate justice movement in the passing of this bill. You know, we've been campaigning um, with the New York Renews Coalition for years now to pass old climate legislation, and now we're really seeing this bill come to fruition that would put us on a path to cutting, um, you know, the vast majority of New York State's greenhouse gas emissions to achieve a carbon-neutral economy by 2050. Um, so, you know, I just want to highlight that this is a really, um, you know, important moment for the, the movement that we represent. Um, that being said, um, you know, as you mentioned earlier, this is a compromise bill. Um, it's not a perfect bill. We got a lot of pushback from the governor who, you know, as, as many of your listeners might know, just as of two weeks ago, didn't even see climate change as a top 10 priority for this legislative session. So ultimately, the fact that we got this over the finish line, you know, down to the wire is, is a really great victory. So say a little bit more about sort of the, the goals and the mandates uh, in the bill when it comes to cutting Emissions. What does that What does that look like uh, practically? Um, and then the state energy uh, efficiency and reliance on renewable sources. You know, what does that look like uh, in practical terms? Sure. So the state is now going to be on the hook to reduce um, at at minimum eighty five percent of economy wide greenhouse gas emissions. Um, that last fifteen percent has been left a little more flexible um, and is going to be tackled through what people are calling a carbon neutral approach, which basically means that, you know, for certain industries and, you know, polluting facilities that can't figure out um, through best available technology how to reduce their emissions on site, they're going to have to invest in um, sound um, solutions to offset their emissions. So. Um, our coalition um, has really been pushing for a 100% emissions reduction target. Um, we've been really skeptical about carbon neutrality because we're, you know, we're seeing um, this play out both internationally and nationally, where you get all these big loopholes where polluters can find ways to, 
you know, buy up soybean fields in Brazil to offset, you know, their, their coal plants, Mm -hmm. um, for example. So, you know, we fought really hard. Um, you know, we had really strong champions in the legislature fighting with us to make sure that the kinds of solutions to, um, achieving carbon neutrality have to be, um, really both environmentally sound and environmentally just. So, you know, um, forestation projects, um, you know, other ways to um, basically mitigate um, the carbon emissions without continuing to pollute um, communities of color and low-income communities who right now bear the brunt of our industrial facilities. Is there a, a qualitative or philosophical impact to having it be an offset for those 15% as opposed to the full 100%? I mean, does that change at all the, the kind of practical impact um, of the bill if, if, if it we're still moving toward carbon neutrality one way or the other? You know, we've, um, we've dwelled on this a lot as a coalition. Um, for us, that, that 15% um, was really a risk to perpetuate environmental racism in our perspective. Um, you know, right now you have the vast majority of um, noxious facilities, fossil fuel power plants, um, waste facilities, you know, basically all of these sources of emissions that we want to curb are disproportionately cited in low-income communities and communities of color. And it's well documented. You see um, higher rates of asthma, heart disease, cancer, um, traffic accidents, you name it, um, from all these noxious infrastructures. So we were really concerned, you know, if if we're going to open ourselves up to carbon neutrality, are we really um, fighting for the most just approach to addressing climate change? And our coalition has always seen that you can't address climate change without addressing um, environmental justice, racial justice, and economic justice. So, you know, for us, this is definitely a compromise, but we're, we're feeling really um, good about the guardrails that we got put in. Um, you know, just to mention another important guardrail, um, which was a, a pretty big victory in this, as you mentioned, the wee hours of negotiation, which is, you know, if you have a polluting facility that... Um, you know, is trying to offset their emissions, they have to cite whatever um, means that's offsetting their emission within the same county or within a, a certain radius of that facility so that at the end of the day, the benefits of that emissions reductions um, or that green space or whatever um, offset that is um, employed goes to the communities that um, are dealing with that pollution. One of the things that has come out increasingly in some of the scientific reporting about climate change is the basically the news, the revelation that even if we reduce emissions dramatically and if other states and countries follow suit, there are inevitable impacts. There's going to be some weather changes. There's going to be sea level rise. And so we need to gird against that as much as we try to reduce emissions to, to prevent the worst effects. Um, does this bill address that end of resiliency and kind of hardening the state, if that's the word, to some of the impacts of climate change that we can't avoid? Yeah, so, um, and again, uh, (laughs) this is a a compromise bill. So we did fight to have a really critical provision in in the original Climate and Community Protection Act, which was basically uh, what we call the equity provision of dedicating 40% of the clean energy funds generated in the state to go to frontline and disadvantaged communities. Um, Unfortunately, um, the provision that's in the governor's version of the bill is a lot more vague. um, And now it's really just saying that the 
quote, overall benefits of funding would go to, to disadvantaged communities. And, you know, not to get too much in the weeds, but basically our concern is that the new target is a lot more ambiguous. And so we really feel we're going to have to fight tooth and nail to fund the kind of projects we want. And, you know, to your question, um, some of the projects that we envision for environmental justice um, communities involve, um, you know, hardening our coastline with um, ecological green infrastructure projects, um, coastal resiliency efforts, um, you know, community solar that can, um, you know, island itself in the event of another Sandy to provide backup power. You know, um, the, the community organizations that we represent um, come from New York's most, you know, environmentally and climate risk neighborhoods. But these are neighborhoods that have been thinking about how they want to tackle climate change for years now. So some of our members have been launching, you know, community-owned solar projects, have been fighting for resiliency investments in Hunts Point and Sunset Park. Um, and, you know, this, these are the kinds of solutions that we envisioned being funded through the original CCPA. And now in the, in the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act, the funding is not, um, is not given. So we basically have to fight um, to, to make sure that our resiliency and energy projects are funded on the front line. So let's talk a little bit more about sort of the emerging and growing green economy. Um, what, what kinds of things are we talking about? We're talking about a move to uh, solar and wind energy. I mean, where is New York at on that? And, and how much will this legislation help really give it a, a boost? Yeah, so the main intention of this legislation um, was really a, a, a shift, right? A shift in, in the way that New York sees its economy. Um, we wanted the state to set the bar for, um, you know, a clean economy, which would send the market signals necessary for us to start, um, you know, investing in things like offshore wind projects, um, small scale and large scale solar projects. Um, but, you know, beyond that, um, in terms of kind of re-envisioning our economy um, away from the extractive fossil fuel-based economy, we really see this bill as, um, as the, the kind of first step to what we call a just transition, where we see workers who are currently, you know, pipe fitters um, working in the fossil fuel industry um, being retrained to work um, in solar installations. Um, you know, we want to see more resiliency investments and we want to see workforce development training um, around um, ensuring that our, our coasts are protected and that our most vulnerable communities have everything they need to, to weather the storms that come ahead. Um, so in terms of, you know, transitioning the economy, we have a long way to go um, to reach our goal. But now that the state is legally required to make this transition, um, you know, at, at many levels of the government, um, numerous government agencies are going to be required to assess um, their climate um, impacts and how they will, um, you know, achieve these goals. Um, so we're you're really optimistic that this is going to send the signals that we need to, to finally transition us to the kind of economy that's going to both, um, you know, mitigate climate change so it, we stave off the worst impacts, but also make sure that we can weather the weather the impacts that are going to come. And so correct me if I'm wrong, just to, to, just to pull it together, some of the crux of the of the issue between uh, the sort of cleaner, no pun intended, version of the bill that you were pushing and the compromise bill is that on some of that transition uh, of training and uh, investing, that there's, there's not as clear uh, requirements for that to happen in certain communities. Yeah, so... 
So to and that'll be sort of the basis for more negotiation uh, as as things move forward, perhaps next year around budget time, for example. Yeah, I think I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it, it comes down to the the funding not being there in this version of the bill. Um, you know, I, I think it's also worth mentioning. Um, you know, in our coalition, we we did a really um, you know intentional job of bringing together environmental justice and labor voices um, to the table so that we could develop a policy that that benefits everybody. And, um, you know, we've been fighting with our labor partners for really strong labor standards and job training programs. And unfortunately, those also did not make it into the final version. So on top of fighting for the, the direct funding to go to disadvantaged communities and making sure that money is there, um, we're going to continue standing with our labor partners for the, the job standards and the job training programs. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, the, the compromise here is, you know, we, we won a climate bill. We won, um, you know, a commitment from the state to transition to, you know, basically a carbon neutral economy with the most emissions reductions, um, you know, possible. Uh, and that's a big win. But now in terms of achieving climate justice and in achieving, you know, justice for low income communities, communities of color, workers um, across the state, um, you know, we're not done fighting. And so we'll have to keep keep on pushing. So give us a picture, if you could, just as we as we wrap up, of what you see as the political landscape now around this issue, having guided this compromise through. Uh, does this reflect the fact that, I mean, this is a bill that would have been, you know, unimaginable a couple of years ago. And I wonder, is that because people who already cared about and believed in climate change simply care more now, they're more alarmed and they're willing to fight for it and, and deal for it? Um, or are you seeing people who were on the sidelines coming to this issue? Did you get a sense that people who didn't care about climate change at all five years ago are now at least somewhat uh, at the table for this discussion? What do you see as the kind of evolution of this as a political issue? Because that will obviously govern you know, what kind of success you have on some of these future steps. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think since the environmental justice and, you know, environmental moves have been around, there's always been this kind of, um, you know, going head to head with labor, right? There's always, I mean, if you if you listen to the transcript from the, the Senate hearing last night, you're always going to hear people claiming that, um, you know, climate bills are going to kill jobs. Um, and I think what we've achieved through the New York Green News Coalition is really, again, just bringing stakeholders together um, from, you know, communities um, that are on the front lines of climate change, both in terms of the workers who need to be transitioned to, to the new economy and, the, you know, the frontline communities that have dealt with these polluting um, industries for so long and kind of bringing both of those voices to the table to build power together. I think that's been hugely important for the movement that we've built. Um, and, you know, I think uh, just to be really specific about it, the fact that um, we have such strong progressive senators now in New York State who are willing to stand up for climate justice um, was a huge, uh, huge factor in us getting this bill passed. You know, the Climate and Community Protection Act passed the New York State Assembly three years in a row. Um, and it was, you know, just up until this point when we flipped the Senate that we were able to get that, you know, that extra support we needed to get. Uh, a major climate bill across the finish line. All right. Well, Priya Mulgaonkar from the New York City uh, Environmental Justice Alliance and the New York Renews Coalition, we thank you for joining us here on WBAI, and we'll check in with you as this bill, uh, you know, becomes law and is implemented uh, to see how it's playing out in the coming uh, weeks and months. 
Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. And so that's one of the most significant pieces of legislation that's obviously come through here in the uh, end of session in Albany, although we're waiting to see what else might come down the pike as, uh, as they finish up business there. Right. And also, as that's going on, the city council is taking up the, the city budget for, for the fiscal year beginning July 1st. So there's action going on here, too. And that budget deal uh, it certainly didn't have as much drama around it as this session has, but obviously uh, important and, and, and setting the groundwork for uh, the, uh, the mayor's presidential campaign to, in, a, <laughs> yes. in an atmosphere of relative uh, comity around it. By the time we're next on the air, the mayor will have participated in the first Democratic presidential primary debate. That's so correct. So we'll have uh, some good fodder for discussion next time around. Um, but speaking of elections and debates, we will soon be discussing the Queen's District Attorney primary with a couple of journalists who've been following it closely. But I did want to mention, um, you know, one of the things that was discussed at City Hall today, I know, as they were about to pass the city budget that is happening in Albany is this legalization of e-bikes and e-scooters, which is a very significant issue really for New York City. And, you know, as Priya was just telling us about the compromise on this environmental bill uh, and green economy bill, you know, there's a fascinating uh, compromise that came out in Albany around the legalization of the e-bikes and the e-scooters, especially around the use of e-scooters in Manhattan, where basically, um, you know, any e-scooter sharing program is going to be not allowed on the streets of Manhattan um, because Senator Liz Kruger especially spoke up in opposition to allowing scooters to start uh, flooding the streets along with everything else that's congesting Manhattan roadways. So that's sort of an interesting aspect of the compromise that's coming together there. But the legalization of the e-bikes, which has especially been an issue related to Mayor de Blasio and NYPD enforcement of especially immigrant delivery workers, um, has been a fascinating issue to watch. And it looks like legalization is happening, you know, with certain regulations that will that will very much impact the city. Yeah, it'll be a lot to pick apart in the next few days to see exactly what Albany does send down and then how the city interprets it with its own regulations.